0: Welcome to episode 17 of The Process, Beast Mode. Thank
1: you for being here with me today. Appreciate you for coming. of me would I get all of you if I told you I'm anointed could you see the proof give my heart and soul for you when I'm inside the booth feel my love feel my pain when I'm inside the booth would you switch a change on me if you knew the truth knowing I ain't the same person that was introduced thank the Lord cause I don't look like what I've been through here's a letter to you I'm back again Jesus on that cross I had to rise again to get my blessings, time to get my blessings. I had to live my life, I had to learn my lessons. I had to keep that smile, but deep inside, I'm stressing. I was trying to keep my spirits from that deep depression. It's time to tighten up, I put my pride down, and pick that Bible up. Welcome to episode 17 of the process. I am Quapon Taylor.
0: <laughs> I am on Monte Martin. Today we have Padre Scott on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Padre. How y'all fellas doing? We doing all right, man. Tell the people where you from. <laughs> uh Brad
1: <back to> Scott <laughs> man from Tallahassee, Florida, born and raised, man.
0: Born and raised in Tallahassee, Florida, the 850. Yes, sir. Uh, what was it like growing up in the in the capital city? <laughs> I love Tallahassee,
1: man. Um I have lived a lot of places, different countries or whatever. Um, but I always find my way back here, man. I feel like it's a great place to kind of matriculate and do a lot of great things um, where you can network easily. So Man, I love Tallahassee.
0: I love Tallahassee, too. But, uh, you know, what struggles did you face growing up? You faced any struggles growing up? What was it like growing up in Tallahassee for you? I mean, struggles-wise,
1: um, we're talking growing up. I could probably um, honestly say that's from a younger man's standpoint. Um, never really wanted for anything. Um, I would say my struggles really hit more so kind of around high school, right? Um, being more of a undersized athlete and have aspirations to play, you know, playing college football or playing in the NFL and being told, you know, that I basically wouldn't be able to do it. Um, So that was something that really lit a fire under me. And You know me, from we play high school ball against each other, you know, how that kind of pushed me to take things to the next level. So just being told no, being told what I couldn't do, I would probably say was the biggest detriment. But at the same time, it was kind of the real um, biggest motivating factor for me. So I would would probably say growing up in Tallahassee or struggles-wise, that might have been it. Or from a joking standpoint, right? Middle school, going to Griffin Middle School over at (laughs) Obringtown where my mama taught. taught, And I'm the the boy from the suburbs getting good grades and playing football and having to fight every day uh, because people kept trying me. And you know what it is your mom was teaching also, or uh, an administrative position. People love to try, you so. <laughs> Having to <laughs> fight my way out of middle school was probably the uh, the funnest part there. But yeah, man, that, that's probably growing up in Tallahassee. That you was know, summing that up right there.
0: Oh yeah, I already know, man. We, we go way back to Billy Joe camp days, man. Yes, so sir. Been playing football a long time. But how yes, was that? How was that, you know? Cause I mean, at a young age, man, we playing football for fun. But well, one day, you want to turn it into a career path, man. When did you start taking this series? When did, when, when did you know it was something that you wanted to do? I mean, honest with you, brother. Um,
1: since I was a little kid, I had set my mind to that. I know a lot of, a lot of, you know, young athletes do. But for me, man, it was something that already kind of ingrained in my mind. That was truly for me. And so, I. I worked at. It. I was always good at, you know, always was good at football. But I knew that it was just gonna take me pushing it to get to where I wanted to be. So even in middle school, right, out there practice, going, going to high school. When I went to Lincoln, seeing, you know, athletes getting recruited, seeing Bobby Bowden every day, seeing, you know, um, Larry Coker. Uh, that was one of my first offers at the University of Miami when he was there. So I mean, different things of that nature. I mean, you know, you see that. You see Fred Rouse you know, number one rated receiver coming out of high school, you know, in the same high school, you know, campus as you, it made you just want to, you know, take it to another level. And so seeing that, I, I saw it was very attainable. Um, and I remember even things like Coach Akira saying to myself and B.J. Daniels one time, um, when we had like a workout one time over the summer, we had a week off But B.J. and I was only guys showing up and we had the week off. And Coach would always say, you know, you guys are, you know, kind of undersized, but, You know, one thing about it, nobody can out. If if you work hard, you know, you may not be the tallest, you may not be the fastest or whatever. But, you know, you can dance to make sure you're not the weakest. You can be the strongest and you can be the one that outworks the next man. So that was kind of something I think that stuck with me throughout my high school career. To say, hey, you know, anybody can say their doubts about me. But, you know, first and foremost, God in my life, who I give all honor and glory to, um, it was, all right, God, if this is for me, let it be for me. I'm going to pour my heart and soul into it. I and mean, that's just what happened. So just give them all on the field, push myself. When everybody would go home, I would be the guy that's still in the gym, you know, working, going to the field, working on my craft, making sure, basically being a perfectionist, man. Because when you set your mind, you say you want to be a professional athlete, you say you want to be a college athlete, you got to be willing to make sacrifices most people aren't willing to make. And that's in the business world or any, any profession you think about. That's why I always say football is really a, 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 a life lesson sport because if you want to be great you got to take the steps right that most people cut you got to go that extra mile that most people stop at um and so i realized that early on man i just i just pushed it pushed it pushed it to get to stanford get all the offers i had out of high school go to stanford you know not like they're on the hardball decide to come back home play at fam and then to get to the league from fam, which most you know, that's a blessing. So I mean, it's it's most it's all God, right? And in that, but and it was me just you know controlling what I could control, basically. Hey, Patrick, mm-hmm. how you doing? Good, boss. How you doing, man? Yeah. So you know, I ain't from Tallahassee. You know what I'm saying? But you know, I don't live in Tallahassee. Uh, I've been to the moon. I don't party there. <laughs> I know what it's like. You know what I'm saying? But what was the biggest obstacle you had to overcome in life? You know what I'm saying? Not just Tallahassee standpoint, you know what I'm saying, life, like, you know, in general. Like, what was your biggest obstacle? Um, I think my biggest obstacle to overcome was myself. Um, As a man, right, with a dominant personality, you really want to control everything. Um, And so I think a lot of the success that I could have had or should have had was delayed simply because it was something that I had to do, I had to accomplish, I had to put my foot forward on it. So for example, walk you through kind of my story, who I am, um, and my whole life was kind of geared towards me going to like medical school. I started doing um, like college A&P when I was in the sixth grade. I was in a pre-medical program called Stride, you know, seventh through eighth. Um, and I mean, in high school, I was doing um, all college classes in that, in that space, but, um. It was for me, I always wanted to go to medical school after I played pro football. That was the dream I had for myself. That was the vision I had for myself. And it couldn't have gone anywhere else, right? That was my mindset. So it was me really taking control. But for me, um, I'm a proclaimed child of God. And when you're a child of God, you can't be in control because he's supposed to be in control. And so majority of my life, man, I'm spending pushing, right? You know, you work to make things happen as a man. You try to. You know, make ends meet in whichever way possible. And I always kept finding myself hitting this wall, right? Whether well, I went to the Cardinals, balled out, I was second team. Man, I just came home for a weekend um, when cuts was made. I made the roster. Um, Just to come home, see my family on Labor Day. Boom, find out the GM was already trying to replace me. He used that as an excuse to say, oh, Patrick's cocky. He, he left and went home like he already, you know, a starter on the team or something. Cut me. And I mean, nothing I did wrong. I'm still close to my coach the day that I was there. Um, but hey, I, I hit a wall. I go to Toronto, ball out. But they decided to go Canadian tackle. I hit a wall. But I just kept having to push, push, push. And I mean, God afforded me some senses on the end. And in this last season, in 2017, I got hurt after being a slated starter. So it's like I kept hitting these walls. And just, so I, I met a point in December in which I said, all right, God, I, I see what you're trying to tell me. I can't control this, right? And in order for me to move forward successfully and fruitfully in life, I had to take my hands off the wheel. And literally I pray, ask, you know, hey, guide me to wherever it is you want me to. And I mean, in that week, he literally opened three doors for me at the same time. It was amazing how it happened. Um, I got somebody gave me MCAT books to study for free. So I didn't have to pay $2,000 for that. Um, I got a a CFL offer back in, um, with Montreal Alouettes to go play again. Um, and then the third thing, which is what I'm doing now, um, I was talking with my brother randomly one day. He was just, we had a little deep conversation about career and life. And he just asked me this question. He said, Patrick, you know, have you ever thought about being like a financial advisor or wealth manager? I said, nah, man. Um, you know, that's actually something I always thought about because backstory: in the off seasons, I would do finance, right? I'd be in the bank um, as a manager a relationship banker. So he was just like, you ever thought about going deeper in that career? I said, man, I actually have, but I don't think I can simply because that's not what my degree is in. That's not what my history is in. He like, what's your work experience is there? He said, and I've seen you work a room and I've seen how people gravitate towards you. And I know you're phenomenal with numbers and you got a hell of a personality. I think it'd be great for you. I said, like, yeah, sounds good, but I just don't know how to get there. Literally, man, three minutes later, I got an email. Actually, no, not three minutes later, literally while I was talking with him. I got an email, I just checked it like three minutes later. Um, I got an email from Jacksonville where the network office for my firm is. And this guy, Wayne Burner, who doesn't even recruit new advisors, reached out to me saying he think I'd be perfect for this. Mentioned Al Lawson, Senator Al Lawson, um, saying, you know, the guy who, basically the gym at FAMU's named after, was a Northwestern mutual rep. I never heard of him before in my life, man. And it was like a door open. Told my pops about it, you know, He's somebody that's always kind of was big on me going to like medical school with him, my mom. And he was like, man, son, listen, you go to this firm, that's one career I will understand you never going to medical school. And so I knew that was a very big thing. And man, as I just gave it a look, I went in, I said, all right, God, I'm gonna trust you. Like you take over. And I mean, literally, man, since then, everything took off going very well. I got the offer to go back. I called my agent, tell him, don't call me no more. I'm good. I got a job offer from the New York Jets. Um, to come up there and join their staff. But told them, I'm good. And it was, I found this peace, right? When I finally took my hands off on it. So you talk about trusting the process. The part about the process, I think that's hard for most people to really embrace is man, we truly not in control, but we can control what we can control. And that's our work ethic, um, that's our attitude, that's our mentality. But at the end of the day, there's some forces at work that are greater than us. And so, when we constantly feel like it's how we think things should go versus how they're supposed to go, we can find ourselves in, like, the sand trap, doing the same thing over and over and over again, which is where I was for five years of my life. And But I will say those five years, though, were learning experiences for me. I grew as a man. I hit rock bottom, dealt with a lot of things, but, I mean, it made me who I am. And also in that time span of playing football and living in all these different cities in another country, and I made a lot of connections, which have been great for me, our business now. So... Even understanding, hey, trusting the process, right? While I was going through a downtime, I didn't know what was going on, but all I was doing was building out a clientele base for people that I could work with later in um, the position that I'm in now, man. So that would probably say was the hardest thing was getting out of my own way. Um, understanding that, you know, hey, I can work hard. I can, you know, grind it out, do everything I can, stay up all night, push it, study, learn, grow in whatever field it is. But if it's me trying to control the situation, there could be no fruitfulness from that. So I think that was kind of the hardest lesson, the hardest thing for me to kind of grasp. So Patrick, Mm -hmm. uh, I understand you was a football player. You know, I played football as well. Mm -hmm. And you you talked about how you had to back away from the game. I mean, Mm -hmm. when when was it that you knew football was over for you? For Patrick, you know, not because you wasn't good enough to play the game, but when did you know like, okay, man, I'm gonna transition to my next phase and what was a key component that helped you trans, trans, transform? Man, everything I just told you was, was what happened. Um, because going into it, I, I was going to play another season. But in December, like I said, man, I really made a decision where I said if football's for me, may it be for me. If it not, may it not. God show me what's for me. And I mean, the doors open so wide in this business, man, that I would have been a fool to go back up there and play. For example, I just hired someone who's starting for me on Monday. I'm paying her the salary that I would have been making in the CFL. So it would have been just a terrible decision on my part (laughs) to give up that success just to go chase that, you know, childlike dream again. Um, So it was just a thing for me understanding, um, you know, not necessarily it's time to move on, but more so that, you know, it served its purpose in my life already. And so it was time for me to embrace what was staring me right into my face, man. And that was, you know, becoming, you know, a financial advisor, right? My goal and to go into medicine was to always impact somebody's life from the health side. But I realized in this space, I can impact their lives from the financial side and actually build out a relationship at last versus somebody coming into, you know, my doctor's office. I healed them and they're gone. Um, So that was kind of what it was. you know, making that transition. We hear a lot um, from the that neighborhood that we grew up in. We hear a lot about, you know what I'm saying? And dudes referring to themselves, saying, oh, I'm a real nigga. Oh, I'm I'm a real nigga. You know, I mean, I know you probably heard a lot. You know, I heard a lot in Miami. Dudes refer to themselves, oh, I'm a real nigga. Uh, I want to know what's uh, Patrick's definition of a real man. Like, what's a real man? Yeah, man, so I definitely prefer the term a uh, real man because... All that other stuff is just smoke, man. Um, to be a real man, to me, um, and my beliefs is, is being God-fearing there. Um, understanding that, you know, hey, head a household, but you submit to a higher power. Being a man is doing what it takes, right, to get the job done. At the same time, being aware of your surroundings and being a leader, right? Somebody who's, In the community, somebody who gives back, somebody who's not selfish only about themselves, but would rather see others prosper, right? Who would give time of themselves. You you speak about a real man. um, I would say the definition of a real man to me is my father. Um, That's who I watched growing up, um, who I emulated to become a man. And so seeing him work, seeing him grind um you know to provide you know doing all he could um but still being right you know being a disciplinarian at the same still same time being a friend you know watching him give back and bringing people into this office right to me that's the definition of a real man so when I think of a real man that's who I honestly think of the definition I think of Edward R. Scott II and I think of Edward R. Scott I so just trying to follow in that light trying to be, be like my pops, right? A lot of people grow up and say they want to be like Mike or they want to be like Barry Sanders or somebody else. Like All I've ever wanted to be is like my dad. Um, so to me, that's I think that's the definition of a real man, right? Somebody who's going to be there for their family, right? be that foundation for them, do what they will go, make that go that extra mile, sacrifice, um, give back to the community, right? Because when we look into our communities and we see young men making terrible decisions, it's not because they don't you know, that's what they wanna do. Maybe they just don't know no better, right? Growing up in a situation where they haven't had the opportunity to see a man work, to see a man operate. Um, and so now to them is, man, I wanna be in the street, man, I gotta do this, man, I gotta do that to make ends meet. But all we all know, that's to be a slippery slope, right? Um, it's a, a place uh, in front of a gun barrel, right behind bars. I got, I got a lot of friends of mine who are going now um, who embrace that lifestyle. And so, and I remember, I can remember them all saying too, right? After we left high school, when I was in college, when I went pro, one of my closest friends, I'm gonna leave him my name, um, had got locked up. Um, we got out and he was always saying how proud of me he was and how he wished he did the things I did when we was in high school, was in college, you know, um, and he was getting his life together shot in the head. So it's, it's you know, you see things like that, man, it just makes you want to give back so you don't see that cycle repeat itself.
0: You know, sometimes when you play football since five, six years old, man, you get so connected to the game to the point where you think that's your only identity. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You feel like football is the only way you can do anything. Yeah. So what advice would you give to somebody to tell them what skills they gain from playing the game of football and how they're transferable in the real world? Gotcha.
1: you. Um, So first and foremost, I think it's it's on us to teach a young man that football is just a tool. It's not the only way Um, that there's so many avenues out there, right, in which we could accomplish our dreams. I think, unfortunately, when we see overnight successes, we see rags to riches, um, we think that can only happen in a sports world. So that dream is tied to, to, that, to that dream of football. That's the only way we can do it. And that's so false. There's so many different ways to generate wealth. Um, you know, a foreign mind is a better mind. There's so many different things we can do, you know, knowing that knowledge is power. Um, and so that would be kind of my first thing. That's one thing about it, right? Even though I was an athlete and I love the game, I was tied to the game, I wanted it. I never wanted to be a one-trick pony, right? I never wanted to be just football. I, to me, I was a well-rounded man, a real well-rounded man. And that's the only way I saw myself. Um, now, in terms of the second part of your question, um, man, football is a life sport. Um, like right now, in my office, man, they're talking about you know the growth that we're seeing and the the, 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 I guess you could say, energy I'm providing. But all it is is stuff I've taken from the game of football, right? If you think about what we all did when we played this sport, um, it's truly amazing. We did something that's completely unnatural, like hit somebody, do a jump cut, you know, going through a hole, reading blocks, uh, running routes, pass rushing, right? All these things that are not natural to the human body, we made them natural. And the way we did that was repetition. Right, we did it so much from the age of five, six, seven, eight, nine on up to 18. And we played in college. Right, what we did in practice, we rep it. We got individual drills, we rep it. We have offense defense drills, we rep it. We have one on ones, we rep it. Right, and then we have team, we rep it in the games, we rep it. So we do it so much, it almost becomes like muscle memory. Um, the same thing translates to school, um, the same thing translates to the professional world. If you want to be great at something in the same way we did it in the sport, it's in the business world. You got to rep it. So for me as an advisor, right, I literally would talk to myself, right, understanding, hey, how can the conversation go here, If the conversation here, right? Having just normal conversations, practicing, having that conversation, right? My materials, right, reading, growing all the knowledges, all the licenses that I have to my name right now going back and studying that material over and over and making it my own, right? To the point where something that was unnatural became natural. So understanding that repetition is the key to learning. I think football teaches that. We just don't realize it teaches us that because we do it subconsciously or there's a coach always making us do it. So all we're doing is repping the skill over and over till we get dang good at it. So I would say in a professional world, whatever it is, Rep that skill over and over till you get good at it. It can't be just while you're at work and then when you go home, that's it. No, when you go home, that's like practice. When you're at work, it's like the game. So at work, guess what? That's your performance time, right? And then when you go home, you gotta spend some time working your craft. So, I mean, that's computer, IT. Get on the computer, play around, you know, do some coding. Um, you know, if you're a banker, right? You gotta talk with people. Have some conversations around the products that you have and learn that material. Um, If you're a lawyer, right? Hey, practice that trial when you're home. You can't just show up to the trial expecting to win. If you haven't practiced, you know, what it is you're gonna say, you know, the laws that you need to know. So to me, I think that's the biggest thing that repetition is the key to learning. Then second from that is just effort, right? You know, putting in the time, putting in that work, the dedication, um, having that drive to win. I think that's something that competitive nature that we have is if, if we translate it to another field, it'll push us to try to accomplish great things. So I, I would say, you know, those are definitely three things that kind of stick out, right? You know, repetition, key to learning, um, that discipline, right? That's required and, and honing your craft. And then that drive, that competitive
0: nature to, to win. Um, all translate very well to the business world. Today, who is Patrick Scott? And what advice would you give, you know, the older Patrick Scott? <laughs>
1: <gasps> oh. All right. so. The advice I would give to my younger self, I mean, honestly, as a, I say this, as a man, I don't have any regrets. I think every decision I've made along the way has made me who I am. So I wouldn't want to change anything in that regard. Um, I guess some advice I give myself to one. I would say there's anything I could ever change. Not say change, but the advice I could give my 17 year old self um, would be when choosing a school when you're being recruited not to fall in love with a coach or whatever, or no, not to fall in love with a school, but rather commit to a coach, right? Cause that's who's gonna be who controls really the experience you have. That's gonna be who kind of determines everything else, the playing time, like how does that coach feel about you? And so for me, when I committed you know, to Stanford, right? It was, it, I committed to the school. It was a great academic school. It's the top academic school in the FBS um, space. Um, athletics, I knew where I was going, Andrew Luck had signed, uh, Mike Thomas had signed, a lot of guys I got close with, and so that kind of compelled me to sign there, but I mean, as I think back on it, right, you know, I think on my recruiting trip, I had a bad experience in the biology department uh, with a racist professor who actually got let go after that, um, after my visit there, you know, Coach Levitt, you know, he loved me, he was even hit me up after I signed to Stanford on signing day, um, you know, Coach Kirk Ferentz, if, you know, when I was going to Iowa, man, that guy was honestly the most genuine head coach I ever met in my life. Um, I would let my son play for him in the future. Um, that's a place I, you know, would have loved experiencing um, under his leadership. You know, he was a very genuine guy. So I think that'd be advice to my younger self, right? Understanding the recruiting process because we think that's things so sweet, but really, man, you're 16, 17, 18, being, you know hunted by all these different college coaches, all these different college programs. And so it's easy to make a decision that might not be in your best interest, right? If you have never been through it, your parents never been through it, it's a new experience for everybody. So I mean, I think I would coach myself up there. And then I guess just life advice to myself, it would be to not worry about what everybody else thinks, right? Just be me. Uh, Sometimes we can get so caught up in trying to please other people or put on this image or this facade people that don't matter and people that's not going to be there 10 years later. Um, So understanding who you are and being confident in that. You know, right now, Patrick Scott today, I know who I am. Confident, man. There's not a a doubt that I have because I I believe strongly and rest my foundation on Jesus Christ. So I have no reason to doubt myself in that space. It's not cockiness. It's just honestly a confidence in what he's brought me through. So... There's no doubt there. There's no wonder there. There's no desire to please anybody else. Um, and I think when we're younger, we have that because we want to fit in. We want to be in the in crowd. We want to be a part of this or that. And we all put on this this persona for everybody else that's around us. So, you know, be yourself. Um, embrace who you are. Embrace your passion. Embrace your purpose. Like, that'll be, you know, what I would tell my younger self.
0: So. You know, you talked a little bit about it going through your recruitment process and going to Stanford, um, which is a great institution. But you know, growing up in Tallahassee, man, we grew up in that in that shadow of that school that sit on the hill. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's that's that orange and green, and you know what it do to you. You know what I'm saying? How was it coming back home to go to school at FAMU?
1: Man, to be honest, man, it was the best thing that could ever happen to me. Um, for example, when I came out of high school, I had offers to that other school here in town. Um, but you know, my whole family went to FAMU. So it was like not even a question that I would even think of going to Florida State. I probably would've got shot. Uh, so, you probably would have. Yeah, I probably would have. <laughs> um, so that was never really a question because my whole family went to fam. Like you said, you mentioned my cousins, where you all went to fam, their parents went to Family went I mean, except for V. Lee, he went to Morehouse. Uh, but, like, everybody pretty much in my family went to FAMU, so it was always something that if I was going to be in Tallahassee, that's where I was going to go. Um, so coming back home, man, to play for FAM was such kind of an amazing experience, right? It was kind of surreal because I grew up on the sidelines. My dad was a team dentist, um, so I was on the sidelines the majority of the games growing up as I became a high school recruit. Um and, you know, a lot of people actually were kind of mad when I went to Stanford. I mean, saying, oh, my God, he had the big head and had all these other offers. They want to come to And it wasn't that. I just wanted to get out of Tallahassee, right? We grew up here, spent a whole life. I just wanted to see some of things.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: to come back home um, and playing Bragg, man, was such a surreal experience. I mean, you know, playing in a classic, um, you know, big tackles for losses, sacks, and hearing people go crazy, like, that was amazing. Um, I think just to kind of sum up my family and what family means to us, I never forget, man, my grandma, you know, she's, she'll be turning probably, I think, like 95, November 14th. Um, and so when I was playing, you know, of course, mentally, kind of starting to go, but she had a moment I said, hey, grandma, I let her know, I said, hey, grandma, um, I'm going to play in the classic. And she said, you better win or don't come home. I was like, (laughs) dang, you know I mean? She hadn't really been speaking before then, or you know, nothing else because she, you know, older age, but she heard me say, hey grandma, I'm going to play in the classic. You better win or don't come home. My mama told me <laughs> my mama told me the same thing. So, you know, being able to go down there and, you know, lay it all on the line for the school that I love that gave me, you know, that second that fresh opportunity. I wouldn't say a second chance, but that fresh opportunity um to be me, uh man, it was, it was it's an amazing experience. It's, it's something that I never I never trade in that HBCU experience, you know, where being in a fraternity wasn't frowned upon like it was at Stanford um, and just allowed to be myself, man. I I think that was a beautiful thing, walking that campus, seeing all of the the black excellence that, you know, that was around me. Um, And then, like I said, man, on game day, just the atmosphere of seeing my entire family, right, in the stands cheering me on, wearing 95 jerseys. um, it, It was nothing like it, man. It was nothing like it. I bet, man, nothing like that orange and green. No sir, you already know. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie; I can't agree with that. It's nothing like that orange and green. <laughs> it's nothing like that uh, that golden tiger. boom that yeah, hey, you your dog. Or...
0: I was gonna ask you what programs and initiatives do you think are, are the youth, you know, who are trying to you know overcome and achieve uh, their in their situation.
1: You said what programs and initiatives would I like recommend?
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you think are important, or, or do you think that we need
1: to implement? Um, Man, I just think it's on us. Um, that's something I always try to do, is to give back and, and have a presence in these schools. I think that goes a long way. Um, if you look at, for example, like Music Today, one of the first things people love to say is, oh, I dropped out of high school and I'm balling, or something like that. And so that can give a commission to a kid, you know, shoot, I don't need to be here and I can ball and to do other lifestyle things they probably shouldn't be doing. Um, So I think just being present goes a long way um, and giving back goes a long way. And then I think in school, man, I think just being involved, right? There's so many different programs, you know, after school programs, sports for sure. You know, sports teach, you know, that camaraderie, you gotta have the grades to play. So that kind of gives you the incentives, you know, to be in class. You know, it's just so many different avenues one could take advantage of. Um, We have like Boys and Girls Club, things of that nature, um, that's heavily in the community. So I just think the key is just to be active, right? You know, the idle idle mind is the devil's playground. It's It's a common saying. So when we're idle, we find trouble. We find those things we probably have no business being a part of, and we get caught up doing different things we shouldn't be doing. Whereas if we're actively engaged, Right, we have a purpose. We have something to look forward to, such as a sport or you know some kind of competition. There, I think that helps keep us focused. Um, yeah, so I would probably say, man, I think after school programs, you know, sports, those all play a major part in the growth and direction um, and the matriculation of young women and men. Any lasting words you'd like to leave with the listeners? Um, man, just. I guess any last words from my end would be to... If there's anything I could probably say that, you know, could transform somebody's outlook, is to is to provide like a positive mindset, to keep that. Um, because there's so many things that can make us think negative, and then we'll start seeing a situation that's probably not bad, that's pretty okay as a bad situation. Um, or we allow things that go wrong to deter us and they make us want to do things that, you know, we normally probably wouldn't do. So I would just say, you know, to the listeners out there, to the young men, young women or established professionals all in between, you know, control what you can control. And the first thing you control is your attitude, having a positive mindset, having, you know, a positive outlook, thinking on. You know, things that are good, those things that are true, you know, believing that, seeing that, manifest that. Um, I was a part, I was blessed to be a part of this group when I was at FAMU my senior year, in which we were mentored by this guy, Dr. Benson, who played for our coach, Joe Taylor, back at um, Hampton, who's a professor at, at Harvard in the psychology department. And so he has a consulting business in which he coaches, like, you know, successful business owners. And how to be more successful or how to build out their wealth and things of that nature and he talked about the power of the mind right and things that we manifest and bringing into life and basically how he framed it was the mind is the soil from which our dreams and goals grow so if we have a negative mindset How can we expect to grow something positive? How can we expect to produce something that's worthwhile, that's fruitful? So if we wanna produce something that's fruitful, we wanna produce something that's worthwhile, we wanna produce something that's productive and manifest that in our lives, it starts with our mindset because that's the soil from which all things grow. So if you wanna change your situation, change your mindset, if you want to be that starter on the team and you haven't been, change your mindset. You got to go get it. You got to work. You can't look at your situations being a bad situation, whether it be in a motivational situation. All my losses in my life, right? You know, sometimes at the darkest moments, they may feel like a loss. But for the most part, I never really stressed it too hard because I knew that it was for greater good. And I'm blessed to say years later, as everything has started to manifest, I can look back and, and say every loss played a sure purpose in where I'm at and who I am today. And so sometimes we can get so caught up in the short term that all we see is our situation currently that it kind of blocks the vision of, of how beautiful the, the, the bigger picture really is. So I would say, hey, keep a positive mindset. Think big picture. Understand, you know, your current situation is not your final destination. Um, understanding that you know where you're going, you're going to get there. It's just going to be some bumps along the road. Outside is to finance, right? When you start talking about investing, we understand a capital market when we invest our money and the rate of return on those dollars, it trends upward always. We just have some volatility along the way in which markets are up and sometimes they're down, and that's what it looks like we're losing money. But our market, our portfolio, and our value of our dollars may be down but guess what, it's coming right back up. And same thing in our life, our lifestyle, you know, hey, we may have some down moments, we may experience some short-term volatility, right, where things aren't ideal, but if we just keep pushing and we stay in and we don't, you know, tap out mentally, we'll be right back up. So understanding, hey, having a positive mindset, allow your mind to be bigger than your problems, um, and just seeing a bigger picture. And then finally, I would say, Find your purpose, find your why. Um, That's going to be the thing that allows you to stay focused. That's going to be the thing that allows you to be greater than yourself. Um, I played for the Arizona Cardinals, and while I was there, I I was blessed to play for a coach by the name of Brinson Buckner, who's now the line coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'll never forget, you know, one day he had Darnell Dockett, Calais Campbell, Ronald Talley, um, you know, Lumpkin, all these different guys, myself, um, sitting in the room. And I think we had like had some good practices and we had some bad practices. And so he was like, fellas, you know, you gotta find your purpose. You gotta find your why, and you gotta tie everything to it. And it can't be something that's quantifiable. It can't be money, right? Because once you get the money, then you'll lose your drive. It can't be girls or anything of the fame because once you get the fame, once you get the girls, then you'll lose your drive. It has to be something that's bigger than you. Um, and once you find that, you know, that'll be the thing in the fourth quarter, right? On the last drive of the game, when you're tired, when you're beat up, that allows you to keep moving. That's going to be the thing that in practice in a 105 degree heat in Arizona or 110 humidity in Florida, right, that allows you to go that last rep, right? To go that extra mile. That's what it's going to be. It ain't going to be the money. It ain't going to be the fame. It's going to be, you know, your family. It's going to be, for me, my God. That's what I tied my purpose to. So he had us, like, kind of all go around the room and say what our purpose was. And so for me, I understood the only reason I was where I was at was because of God. Um. So my purpose and everything that I did, though I may not have been where I was supposed to be long-term, was to glorify God? So when I was tired, I thought about, man, like, when somebody see this performance, is that glorifying him? Um, in my practice today, you know, I, I can stay up late at night and continually to work. Because when I meet with people, I'm trying to change their life. And I want them to see me and say, man, what is it about this young man that makes him so different? And I can tell them it's my God. So you got to find your purpose. And once you find that purpose, man, manifest it bring it to life and tie everything you do to it and you'll just see the limitations that you thought were all there removed and you'll just see you'll experience a growth personal growth a mental growth um, an emotional growth a spiritual growth beyond your wildest imaginations that's
0: it thank you thank you we, we definitely appreciate you you know spending time sharing wisdom with us um, working people working people get In contact with you or find you uh, if they ever wanted to book you or you know, reach out for your advice.
1: Um, anybody want to find me? Um, I would probably say a couple ways one would be um, my email, maybe. Um, that's dot scott at nm.com. Um, or website is like what I think is padrick.scott.com or social media is always a good way. Um, Patrick, P-A-D-R-I-C underscore beast, B-E-A-S-T, Patrick underscore beast, Um, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, you know, definitely reach out. i will love to, you know, whoever it is out there that's maybe looking for a mentor um, or just some some motivation, some advice, you know, definitely feel free to reach out to me because I always
0: believe in reaching out. Each one, teach one for sure. This concludes episode 17 of The Process. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and to like us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you. They're chanting, trust the process. Trust the process. Trust the process.
1: I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like, that was my thing. You know, oftentimes I think about, like, my legacy and, like, the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through, and not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.